This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Calendar. Let's be real. Running a household can be exhausting and chaotic. And finding the perfect Mother's Day gift, it's not exactly a no-brainer. Until now. The Skylight Calendar is the best way to organize the family and give everyone, especially mom, some peace of mind to enjoy the things that matter most. The Skylight Calendar is a smart, touchscreen calendar that keeps track of and manages the chores, dinner planning, groceries, and to-dos for the whole family. The Skylight Calendar automatically syncs each family member's digital calendars and displays them all together on one color-coded touchscreen. It even doubles as a digital picture frame so you can finally share all those special moments that are just sitting on your phone. As a limited time offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightcal.com slash easy. Hey, I'm Sarah Bivens. And I'm Matthew Bivens. And this is the Doing It at Home podcast, the only podcast dedicated to empowering, loving, and honest conversations around home birth. What started as a fun way for us to document our own home birth journey has turned into a platform for sharing birth stories, resources, and education with the goal of empowering mamas and families to make the birth decisions that work best for them. Plus, we get into the antics, breakdowns, and breakthroughs of our own experience of marriage and parenthood. All right. You ready, babe? Yep. Let's do it, mama. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here. We appreciate you. And if you want to connect with us more, if you want to get more involved in the Doing It at Home community, there are a lot of options for you to do that. So you can follow us on Instagram if you aren't already, at D-I-A-H podcast. Take a look at all the amazing, empowering birth images and content that we share there from amazing birth photographers to highlighting stories from the podcast and all kinds of stuff in between. Our Facebook page as well, doing it at home and a private Facebook group for the community, doing it at home birth group. And our website, of course, diahpodcast.com, where you can see more notes on episodes, pictures. You can download our free offer that we have there, things that made our home birth awesome. And you can contact us there as well. So go to the website and do that. Another way that you can get engaged with the show and support the show, keep the show running, is to purchase a Doing It At Home shirt. Not just a shirt, a shirt, a tank top, or a sweatshirt, or a hoodie, or a long sleeve shirt. Any and all combinations will do. Um, But those purchases go directly to keeping the show running, like I said, keeping it up and so that we can keep putting awesome content on there. So if you are interested in that for yourself, for a mama friend, for your midwife, or doula, or fellow birth junkie, the the shirts are really cool. There's some really fun designs there for you to check out. So you can go to bonfire.com slash store slash D-I-A-H podcast to check out the shop and see what we got going on there. There's a link in today's show notes as well. So you can go there and click that as well as our Instagram page. It is our profile link. Okay, one last announcement before we get into the birth story. So I have something exciting that I'm launching shortly, and I want to give you guys the exclusive, the jump on it for those of you who are interested in the community. So 
I'm a balanced lifestyle coach. And what I do is I work with women and mamas one-on-one and in groups to connect them with their balance, if you might have guessed, their sense of identity, purpose, love, joy, really owning yourself and your life. And I'm going to be launching an exclusive 12-week experience for mamas to options, preconception slash pregnancy or postpartum slash mamahood. So tailored to those times of your life and experiences to empower you to then empower your birth or your experience of motherhood. Because to do that, to have that experience in its fullness, it's really about knowing who you are, loving who that is, honoring who that is, and accepting who that is. So if you are interested in what that could look like for yourself, again, at any stage, if you are trying to conceive, if you are pregnant and planning for your birth, if you are newly postpartum or a seasoned mama and you are interested in getting in touch with you and empowering you to empower your experience of life, birth, motherhood, and beyond, go to sarahbivens.com and reach out to me to learn more about that. Again, that's sarahbivens.com, and I'll include a link to that in today's show notes as well. So just for you, my beloved doing it at home mama friends. Okay, moving into today's birth story, we're talking with Bridget. And What I love about Bridget, first of all, she was so much fun to talk to, but she brought a lot of different elements and perspectives into the scene, particularly around the trauma of her first birth in a hospital with her daughter, Eva. And the trauma around that for her kind of centered around the relationship or lack thereof, in fact, with the care providers. And so that really inspired her to look into other options for her second pregnancy. However, she was not sold on home birth, despite her husband, Daniel, being born at home. She wasn't really sure it was for her being kind of a planner personality. She didn't really think it was what she wanted to do. She more so was in alignment with the care that she was experiencing in the midwives that they found. And they were going to go for a birth center. Well, there's some twists and turns, and I won't give anything away, but let's just say there are a few surprises and a couple of really cool elements that make this story so rich and so beautiful. And we also talk about challenges around blood sugar, which I know a lot of mamas face and feel kind of lost. And there's a lot of guilt and confusion and things that come with that, especially when you're talking about potentially gestational diabetes. But Bridget experienced blood pressure challenges with both pregnancies. So she shares a little bit about that as well. Okay. I'm going to let you listen to the rest. It's really awesome. Thank you so much to Bridget and enjoy. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hi, Bridget. Welcome to the Doing It at Home podcast. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to be on. We are super excited to have you. We appreciate you taking some time to just hang out with us and talk babies. (laughs) Talk babies. Um, Bridget, why don't you share a little bit about yourself? Um, My name is Bridget. I'm a stay-at-home mom to Eva and Chloe. Eva's four and a half and Chloe is two and a half. 
and I've been married to my husband, Daniel, for almost 10 years. Wow. Congrats. Ten years, a decade. That's so exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you've had an interesting journey to home birth. Is that correct? Yes, definitely. So why don't you share just a little bit about that and kind of what put you down the path to home birth because it wasn't a very obvious thing for you. And so I think that's important to note um, for other mamas who might be in a similar boat. You know, maybe they've thought about it, but they're just not sure and kind of in that reticent space. So could you share a little bit of what drew you eventually to home birth? Sure. So with my first baby, I knew that I didn't want to have a hospital birth, but um, I wasn't really clear about the difference between a nurse midwife and a professional midwife. And those have some kind of distinct differences here in Texas where I live. Um, I just kind of assumed that a nurse midwife would be better trained or would be a better thing. And so we signed up at a birth center um, that was run by nurse midwives. And we ended up having a really, really difficult um, labor and delivery due to um, being induced and all kinds of interventions. And we ended up transferring to the hospital um, and then laboring and delivering at the hospital, uh, which was <laughs> traumatic on its own. Um, it's kind of own things there. So the second time we got pregnant, um, we looked around a little bit more. We talked to a few more people. My chiropractor at the time, who I just loved, she suggested a professional midwife that was in the area that had just started up and um, was working at a birth center that was really close to our house. So I was really excited about that. I um, went and spoke with her and I just felt like completely connected to her from the very first meeting. I felt like I was listened to. I felt like she um, had spent a lot of time reading my charts and understanding what had happened in my first pregnancy. And just really, um, she really wanted to hear from me what I wanted from my pregnancy and birth and um, like how she could support me in that instead of kind of telling me what, what her rules are and um, all of that. So um, how did we get to home birth from that? Well, at 34 weeks, um, I heard from a friend that my birth center had closed and that was <laughs> shocking. Yeah. I, my, my head almost exploded. I was like, what? This is like, I, I, I haven't heard this from my midwife wife. Well, like what is happening? And, um, sure enough, the birth center had closed unexpectedly. Wow. And did they ever give you a reason told, why they just closed? Um, Yes, there were financial problems there that weren't handled well, and they thought oh, that they were going to have more time to work that out, and the landlord put locks on the door. Jeez. Oh. Oh. So, yes, there was just, yeah, there was just a lot of miscommunication everywhere. There wasn't, like, they weren't doing anything medically wrong. There mm-hmm. weren't any kind of issues like that. It was just financial stuff that did not work out. Um, so I'm 34 weeks pregnant, <laughs> freaking out. <laughs> My midwife calls and we talk and she's like, well, I could still do a home birth with you. And I was like, I can't like, I'm a planner. I really like, I really like my plan. I feel like I put a lot of thought into it. 
And, and so it's really hard for me to change plans. Right. <laughs> um, and so I was like, I, I like, I need a few minutes to think about this. I need, I, I'm not sure that I can just like hop over to a home birth because at the beginning she said we can do either the birth center or home birth. And we had still decided on birth center and I can't, I can't even think of really specific things that I was against. I just felt like a birth center was going to be safer in some way, which doesn't really make sense because she brings all of the same equipment to our house that she would have at the birth center. Um, there's really no difference there. At least that's how she explained it to us. And I don't really know what was such a roadblock for me. It just felt um, like this really big thing that outside of my mother-in-law who had all four of her boys at home. Um, I didn't know anybody else that had done home birth and my mom had wanted to give birth at home, but my dad felt like that was too risky and he just couldn't handle that. And so I think that it was just something that had always been in my head that home birth was risky when it's really, it's really not. Mm. Um, and so 34 weeks, I was like, I can't, I can't handle this. <laughs> so we went and checked out one other birth center that was in our town. And we talked to them, had a really long meeting with um, their kind of head midwife there. And um, she was a professional midwife as well. And I came home from that and was like, I, I can't deliver there. Like I didn't click with her. <laughs> she, um, she had a lot to say about um, what she thought I should and shouldn't be doing in pregnancy. For example, um, I do CrossFit and I really enjoy it. And mm. I had been doing it all throughout my pregnancy. I modify things appropriately. Um, and that was something that my first midwife was totally fine with. And this other one was like, oh, no, you have to stop that immediately. And mm. I, I just I don't know. I um I'm very much a feelings person and I just felt like I didn't connect with her. And I thought about it and Daniel and I thought and prayed for about a week. And I was like, I want Cheryl at my birth, like wherever I need to have my baby. I want Cheryl there because I feel like Cheryl is going to give me the best medical and emotional support that I could possibly have. And I don't care where I need to get birth for Cheryl to do that. I want Cheryl at my birth. Um, because that was something from my first pregnancy that throughout my pregnancy, I knew that I wasn't clicking with these midwives, but I felt like I couldn't change care. Um, we were living in a smaller town at the time that my in-laws lived in and they've been there for decades. And my mother-in-law's a nurse and she knew these midwives and had known them, you know, longer than I've been alive. And I just felt like it would be like rocking the boat if I changed care, even though I knew mm. throughout most of the pregnancy, like this is not working for me. These, these, you know, meetings are upsetting. I just, um, was not clicking with them. And yeah. so the second time around, it was really important to me that I had a midwife that I thought was going to support me no matter what my requests were. And so that's how we finally landed on home birth at 35 weeks <laughs> um, was that I wanted Cheryl there, like above anything else. I thought she would give me the best care. 
So that's what we decided to do. And then having home visits for the rest of my pregnancy when I had a little not even two-year-old toddler at home, that was amazing. Yeah, I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. So I want to go back to um, pregnancy number one with with little Ava. And you said that you knew the care that you had chosen was not necessarily the care that was right for you, but you were afraid to rock the boat for all those reasons that you listed out. How do you feel about that now, looking back? Because I know that there's moms and future moms, future dads, future partners listening right now who are feeling that same type of thing where they're not really clicking or something about what they're currently choosing isn't really resonating with them, but they're afraid to rock the boat. What would you say to them? I would them? say change your, change your care. Um, your birth and your pregnancy, it is not about anybody but you and your baby and you need to find somebody that is going to support you. Um, the midwife not supporting me is what ended in a really, really hard, really traumatic birth. And I grew a lot as a person and as a mom. But um, looking back at my first pregnancy and birth, it's really hard for me now because it was really painful. It was really upsetting. So I... I, I totally understand not wanting to um, upset people and not wanting to have to explain yourself to a lot of people, but you don't have to. You can just say, you know what, I appreciate the care that you've given me, but this is just not working for me right now. And you need to find somebody who you feel supported and encouraged by. You should not be leaving your appointments crying. That's not okay. You should not be leaving your appointments feeling discouraged and like you've been chastised. You should have medical care that is really um, your your advocate and it's somebody there to encourage and support you. So change change your care. Like find that strength somewhere in you and just do it. You are not going to be sorry. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, it totally resonates because, yeah. I mean, everyone deserves to have that amazing type of care, like you said, somebody who's going to advocate for them, somebody who's who's willing to listen and really hear where they are. And I love the fact that you said you're a feelings person, that like Sarah and I as well, we, we, we talk about, you know, feeling people's energy and, and just getting a vibe from somebody. And that's so important to us. Right. And, and so when it comes to making these types of decisions, I mean, you, you absolutely, there has, you have to feel it. And it has to connect. And it's just interesting how many things we can put in the way, how many, you know, uh, rationalizations and justifications. Well, you know, th- this, these midwives are friends of the family or they came highly recommended right. from so-and-so and I don't want to offend so-and-so when right. it really comes down to, to you and, you know, and your experience and your body and your decision. So I appreciate you just sharing that with folks because I know people listening are getting a lot of strength from your words. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, that, um, I didn't understand at all, like when actual birth was happening, how much people's, um, energies and emotions around me was going to affect me. And, um, now having two very different births, like I could not imagine having anyone in my space at all that I didn't feel completely comfortable with. And I didn't, you know, know that they were absolutely on my side. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you, if you have fear or concerns or 
you are just not on the same page as your care provider, that is going to show in your actual birth because you are not going to be comfortable. And if you are not comfortable, your body is not going to work um, the most optimally. Yeah. I just think find your Cheryl. That's what I'm hearing from what you said. Like hashtag find your Cheryl. Everyone deserves a Cheryl. I love that because it speaks to the power of the relationship with your care provider and what it, what it, potentially can do. I mean, you felt so much trust and connection with Cheryl that the birthing center closes. You're still not a hundred percent on home birth, but you're a hundred percent on Cheryl. And so with that, you're like, I don't care where it happens. I need Cheryl there. That I, I mean, to me is just such a testament to what kind of relationships can be forged here with midwives, doulas, you know, these care providers that become such a huge part of our lives and, you know, our team. So that's what I think it's just a huge testament to is the potential and the power of that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's cool. And so there's one other thing about your pregnancy that I want to touch on that I think, again, so many mamas are going to get so much out of this conversation, but even more, um, some of the blood sugar challenges that you had. Can you share a little bit of that? Yeah, that was something that kind of cropped up in both pregnancies. My first pregnancy, um, like in general, I'm a fairly active person and um, I thought that I had a, a fairly good diet. And my first pregnancy, I kept gaining a lot of weight month after month. And, um, (laughs) I was told in my first pregnancy multiple times, well, when you're eating dinner, if you have pasta and bread, just pick one, (laughs) one or the other. And I was like, you don't know what I'm eating. (laughs) This is is not what's going on here. It is not that I'm just eating way too much bread. And that was so upsetting to me that I was like, I know, like, I know that I'm gaining more weight than they want me to, but I don't feel like I have any kind of support around like, what do I need to change? Because I told them like, I have a good diet. Like I eat lots of um, protein and vegetables and fruit. And like, (laughs) I just didn't have any kind of support around that. And, you know, they don't do the gestational diabetes testing until what, like 20 weeks or something, maybe even a little bit later than that, 25 weeks. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. But um, so about a month before that, I started researching that with my sister, and um, we came up with a diet change for me that would be a little bit more along the gestational diabetes type diet, and that really helped to slow down my weight gain. Um, but that was, you know, outside of anything that my care provider suggested. I did fail the first test, pretty good, and then the, <laughs> the three-hour test <laughs> for for it, I. Um, I just barely by one point passed. So I was clearly having problems with my blood sugar. You know, I was active at that point. I was walking um, almost every day with a friend. I was eating well, but I just couldn't, um, I couldn't figure out what the problem was in my diet. And I really didn't figure that out until my second pregnancy. Um, Most people they have a problem with their sugars kind of throughout the day while you're eating. And usually when you wake up first thing in the morning, like your sugar should be pretty good and pretty stable because you've had all night for your body to digest everything and for your hormones to kind of level out. 
Um, mine, my sugar issues are in the morning. So the second time around, I talked to Cheryl from the very beginning. I had kind of changed my diet a little bit as soon as I got pregnant to be lower carb. And, um, I talked to her about that and told her that that was a really big concern of mine. Um, and so she said, okay, well, let's just start checking your blood sugar. And I was like, do what? Like, that's something I could do on my own. Nobody told me that before. Um, and so I just got a little finger prick um, testing thing. And I tested, I don't know, it was probably a week or two um, right after every single time that I ate and first thing in the morning. And what we realized was I was having a problem with my resting blood sugar. So basically, I needed to eat like zero or very low carb at dinner every night. And the rest of the day went just fine. And that was like the one big thing I needed to change in my diet. And again, the first time around, like nobody made any kind of suggestions like that. And so that's why I'm like, I, I feel like everybody needs to have care that um, that's really listening to them mm. and really adding value to their pregnancy because it was such a small thing for me to change, but it really, really radically changed my pregnancy and delivery. And I, um, gestational diabetes can, can be a really scary term. People hear diabetes and they think type one or type two diabetes right. and they, they kind of um, associate the two and they're really not. It, some, some people even um, argue that you should not call it gestational diabetes mm. because you're having blood sugar changes, but it's just because of the way that your body is hormonally changing. It's really not it's not the same thing right. at all as type sense. one or type two diabetes, but diabetes is such a scary word that that's just, you know, terrifying for a lot of women. And, um, it's for, for the vast majority of women, it's not this big, scary thing. Mm -hmm. You can figure out what is triggering your blood sugar spikes and you can, um, then adjust your diet and exercise to kind of help with that. Yeah. I think it's really important you share that because like you said, it can seem really big and scary. And then also just with the terminology or with the lack of information about it or helpful resources that are just about tinkering and figuring out what works for you as an individual, you know, you remove all of that, which can help um, shed some light, then you're left thinking whatever you're left thinking, you know, judging yourself for it, you know, already thinking you're a, a bad mom, quote unquote. <laughs> um, and you're not even, right. you know, you haven't even had the baby yet. Like, Oh, I'm, I've already failed. And it's just a few months in. Um, so that whole thing to just, just eliminate that with some simple things, like you said, of having people around you to support you to figure it out, adjust as necessary and, you know, keep, keep on keeping on. Absolutely. And I would say for anybody that is having blood sugar issues, um, there's an author, Lily Nicholas. Um, she has real food for pregnancy and real food for gestational diabetes. Um, I've heard several interviews with her and she is really awesome and has really encouraging things to say if you are experiencing blood sugar fluctuations in your pregnancy. Um, so I would highly, highly recommend finding one of her books and um, diving into that because this is absolutely something you can handle. This is absolutely something you can do and it doesn't have to be um, scary. Yeah. I'll include links to that um, in the show notes. So if you heard that and you're like, oh, I want to check out that book and website and everything, we'll have a link to that um, in the show notes. Um, 
real quick before we get into birthday, birthing time, I want to talk about this husband of yours for a second, who is one of four <laughs> born at home. It's amazing. That's super cool. <laughs> and what's what was that like in terms of what he brought to the table um, in supporting you and in being, um, you know, a powerful partner? Yeah, he just, you know, they, they grew up thinking that birth is a normal physiological thing. Um, they, so my husband is the second of four. He was there and saw his brothers, his younger two brothers being born. Wow. Um, yeah. So they, it was just, they, they, my mother-in-law is a nurse and they grew up watching birthing videos. They, they were, you know, all in it. And so it wasn't anything birth in and of itself is not scary to my husband. Mm -hmm. And it's not, um, you know, something that he felt like needs to be like medically managed in a hospital. It wasn't a foreign idea to him. And he just really, he wanted me to feel comfortable. So whether that was a birth center or a home birth, whatever that was, he wanted me to feel like I was comfortable with that decision and whatever I was comfortable with, he was ready to support. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. so amazing. Thumbs up to Daniel and Daniel's mama. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I know one of four boys, you wouldn't really uh, think that they'd know anything about birth, but they, Linda has done her job. (laughs) (laughs) So great. So we need more Lindas and more Cheryls (laughs) in the world. (laughs) For sure. Definitely. (laughs) All right. So let's get into this birthing story, this, this tale of when you realized birth, um, was happening and it, uh, you, you, you went a while, right? You, you were pretty far along. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that is something that I learned about the difference about nurse midwives or professional midwives in the state of Texas. If you're a nurse midwife at 42 weeks, you have to transfer care to a doctor. Okay. And I think that's part of what was rushed for my first pregnancy and why they started trying to induce me was because we were about, we were getting close to that 42 week mark and they didn't want to lose care. Right. So they rushed it. So the second time around, um, Cheryl is a professional midwife. And I told her from the beginning, I don't want any interventions. I do not want anyone touching me. I do not want any interventions. So we hit 40 weeks, nothing. We hit 41 weeks, nothing. And I really, I know that a lot of women are really uncomfortable by this stage and are just ready to be done. But um, I had such a peace about this and actually going so long, like those last two weeks, we didn't have any plans because I had like stopped all of the other things that I was doing and all of my other responsibilities. And so I had a really sweet time with just, you know, me and my husband and my older daughter those last couple of weeks while we were waiting for Chloe to make her appearance. And um, I don't know, it was it was a huge blessing to me to have that extra time to just kind of relax and um, get ready to expand our family. So when we got to 41 weeks and about five days, um, everybody around me outside of Daniel started getting really nervous. And started like telling me how nervous that they were, <laughs> and oh, boy. I hadn't I hadn't been feeling nervous, but I started to like kind of absorb those feelings and feel like, well, maybe like maybe I do need to do something. I just you know, so I called Cheryl and asked her um, what her opinion was about that, and she told me we could try some blue and black cohosh and try that for twenty four hours. She was like, if you're ready then your body will start labor with this. And if you're not, 
then you're just not going to, and it's not going to have any, you know, terrible side effects, um, like drinking castor oil or something like that might. So we did that for 24 hours, absolutely nothing happened. And so I was like, well, you know what, I'm just waiting. And so Cheryl said, we'd see, so that was on Friday, I guess. And she said, we'd go in and have a non-stress test on Tuesday if I hadn't had the baby by then. But she seemed completely unconcerned about it. And that was really, that really helped me to find my peace again and just be okay with it. So 42 weeks and a day was Easter Sunday. And I woke up about two o'clock in the morning, just really uncomfortable and um, a little bit crampy, nothing, nothing crazy though. And so I got up and um, I had kind of had two false alarms before where I had had regular contractions for about an hour. And then I went to the bathroom and emptied my bladder and they just went away. So I decided to get up, go to the bathroom and just kind of see how they went. And half an hour later, I was still having contractions and they were, they were light. It wasn't anything crazy, but it was definitely a difference from what the Braxton Hicks had felt like. I actually emailed my best friend at like 2.30 in the morning. It was like, I think I'm having an Easter baby because everybody was asleep and I just had to tell somebody. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so my, Daniel got up um, a few hours later and we kind of just sat on the couch and worked through contractions and talked about what the day was going to look like. And about five o'clock in the morning, I called Cheryl just to check in with her. And she told me to, you know, from where my contractions were at and what I sounded like to give her a call back in a few hours or whenever I felt like I needed her at the house. And um, about five o'clock, I called my sister as well and asked her if she'd come and pick up um, Eva. I didn't think that I could, while I would, I would love for Eva to see me give birth, I didn't think I could handle managing her and her emotions around it and myself at the same time. And so I decided to have my sister come and get her. Mm. So about six thirty, seven o'clock, uh, my sister came and got Eva and all of that, just feeling like I needed to get dressed because my sister was coming over and saying goodbye to Eva. You know, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Like Eva and I spent like, you know, every minute of our first two years of life together, basically. And so it's a big thing for her to be gone for me, even for a day. And just, I think all of that emotional energy um, caused my contraction contractions to stop. And so I was a little bit, a little bit anxious about that, but about 30 minutes later, they started picking up again and they were definitely stronger. And I think just um, knowing that, that my baby Eva was in good hands and was happy and she left well with my sister. Um, it really helped me to relax and just think about me and the labor that was starting. So they kept having contractions. They were very regular, but it wasn't anything crazy. The The only thing about them were I was having a lot of back labor. So I'd need Daniel to come and push on my hips and push on, put pressure on my back through every contraction, which made me wonder if um, Chloe was um, sunny side up. What is that? Um, that she was facing the wrong direction. Right. P- um, posterior. So, Posterior. Uh, okay. Yes. yes. Posterior. That's right. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I know it's in there. <laughs> so about 830, I, um, I called Cheryl and asked her if she would come over. I just, 
had started feeling really anxious because um, the, the first time around with Eva, my first pregnancy, I never progressed past a four until I went to the hospital and had Pitocin. And I was really anxious that I was like doing all this work and I had been up since two o'clock in the morning, but I was like, how do I know that my body's doing something? I mean, the last time I, I had contractions about every two minutes, really, really intense, much more intense than the ones I was having now for um, 14 hours and didn't get past a four. So I, I just was starting to let the fear creep in that my body was broken and that I wasn't going to be able to do this. So she was like, okay. She's like, I'll, I'll be there in a little bit. She got there about nine and I asked her to check me. I had thought that I might not have any checks. I didn't want any checks um, throughout the pregnancy, but I just was having so much anxiety <laughs> that I wasn't progressing. I asked her to check me and um, to all of our surprise, I was at a seven and it was so exciting. Like my whole entire body just relaxed. And when it did, the contractions, they were still coming, but they weren't painful anymore. And I think just not holding that anxiety in my body and being able to relax and um, be excited about the process really helped um, the contractions not be so intense. So Cheryl was excited. She was like, I didn't think you were this far along. I'm going to go get my stuff out of the car because we're definitely having a baby. So that was exciting. Since I was having all the back labor, um, she suggested that I call and see if my chiropractor would come over and adjust me. And she did. I felt so blessed by all of the women in my life that day. It was Easter Sunday. Like everybody was at family events. Everybody was doing family things. And um, they all dropped all their things to come and support me in birth. And That's it was so cool. really amazing. Wow. So she did come and adjust me that unfortunately did not change uh, Chloe's presentation, but I felt like at that point I had done everything I could and Chloe is just going to do what Chloe wants to do. So that hasn't changed a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> so after that, she came and adjusted me. Um, I think I, around 1030, I asked Cheryl if I could get in the birth pool at that point, because I was really hoping for a water birth. And she told me I could do anything that I wanted to do. And so I went ahead and jumped in. And shortly after that, I don't think we talked about this, um, the backup midwife. So Cheryl always brought a backup midwife with, with her. And she was hoping that Donna was going to be able to come, but she wasn't sure. So the backup midwife, her name is Donna. She's the sweetest lady. She delivered my husband. And, wow. um, wow. yeah, wow. was the midwife for all four of my mother-in-law's births. And I had never actually met her before, but when she walked in, like, it was just like having a super encouraging grandmother there. Uh -huh. Like she just was soft and peaceful and encouraging and just the sweetest lady. And it just was amazing to me that she, she was literally having a Easter family gathering at her house. And she's like, yeah, I just told my daughters they were in charge and drove an hour over here to be at my birth. Um, That's so pretty incredible. That was really neat. Yeah. Yeah. It was so special to me. Um, she actually delivered uh, Daniel on her birthday. They share a birthday. So, oh, my you know. gosh. Wow. Yeah. So it was fun. Um, so it, I, things really picked up from there. Um, and I think... 
I don't know, it was another 20 minutes or so. And then I felt my water break. And it just, since I was in the water, I wasn't entirely sure, but I was like, I feel like something popped. Like it just, and the contractions just got super intense at that point. And a few minutes later, 10 minutes later, I heard Cheryl say, Donna, I think she's looking pushy. (laughs) And Cheryl and Donna came in and asked me if I was pushing. And I hadn't even realized I was doing that. But when I like took stock of my body, I realized I was starting to kind of bear down um, with each contraction. And um a little bit after that, it definitely hit transition hardcore and started to panic and was like, oh, I don't, I don't think I can do this. And Daniel was like, well, you are like, you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just about 15 minutes of pushing and Chloe was out and she was born um, in the water. And I was, it was just, it was magical. I just kept saying, we did it. I did it. Like, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe that my body just did everything it was supposed to be. And I was sitting in my living room and I had a baby and there was no medical staff and there was nobody that was going to tell me what to do with my child. And it was just us. And it was just, it was so incredible to me. Um, so we picked her up and we held her in the water for a few minutes. And then um, Cheryl told me that I, she was starting to see a lot of plumes of blood in the water. And she really wanted to get me out of the water to just kind of check out where that was coming from and what was happening. So we got out and moved to the bed and I hadn't, um, my placenta hadn't come out yet. And so she was like, okay, try giving some pushes because we're still losing a lot of blood and we really need to get the placenta out. Um, So I tried pushing on my back on the bed and it was just not happening. Like I just couldn't do that um, for whatever reason. Totally ineffective. So we moved over to the bathroom on the toilet and I was able to push out the placenta there. Um, And Cheryl caught it and she was like, oh, she's like, this might be the reason for all the bleeding. I had a Duncan presentation a placental presentation. So that's where your, the maternal side comes out first. Um, I did a little bit of reading on this last night so that I (laughs) would know a little bit more about it. So that's where the fetal membranes come out first. Usually it comes out the um, fetal side and that's all smooth. And when Mm -hmm. it does that, when it comes out the fetal side, you have a much higher likelihood of all of the membranes detaching properly. Mm. When it comes out the Duncan presentation, there's a lot more bleeding and there's a much higher risk of retaining placental fragments. And it's hard. It's really hard for them to tell if something's missing on the placenta. So, yeah. So I kept bleeding, which um, my hemorrhaging, I hemorrhaged with, Eva as well. And that was something that we, you know, Cheryl and I had talked about and we were both aware of, you know, she brings Pitocin and she brings, um, you know, IV fluids and all of that. And we were trying to avoid using those. I really wanted all of that kind of as a, um, last, a last effort. So, um, I'm still bleeding quite a bit. So she did do some fundal massage, which is, terrible but oh, yeah. much much better yeah <laughs> it was much better than what happened in the hospital mm. but it's still it's still uncomfortable right. so 
I did end up being able to, you know, clamp that down and stop bleeding. But I also had a second degree tear. So she was having, we were having kind of a hard time um, figuring out where all the blood was coming from. So we got all of that sorted. I didn't need any Pitocin. I didn't need any IV fluids. She said it was considered a minor hemorrhage, though, just from the amount of blood that I lost. Um, they had me drink um, juice and, um, chlorophyll, uh, just as a blood booster. And, um, I did that instead and it was fine. Um, and sorry, trying to remember. Oh yeah. So with a second degree tear, I did need to have that stitched up. Mm-hmm. Um, this was another thing that I really was just so grateful for Cheryl. Um, the first time around I had a second degree tear as well. They used synthetic sutures and that ended up not healing. And at, um, eight weeks postpartum, I ended up having to have it, those, um, the stitches in that area, uh, cauterized, which you can, because it hadn't healed, you can imagine was really, really unpleasant. Um, so again, Cheryl and I had talked about that. She looked in my records, we talked about it and she said, often there are some people that just don't respond well to synthetics. And so she was like, we'll try, if you need stitches, we'll try a sheep gut um, sutures. And usually people do better, you know, um, with those natural fibers. And so that's what she stitched me up with. And I healed very, very quickly, no problems at all. Mm. Um, And I think that just goes back to a care provider that's listening to you and that hears you and is like, ready to support you where, wherever you need it. Mm. So yeah, totally. got all stitched up and, um, back in bed and Daniel and Chloe and I just had several hours together just to snuggle and like kind of try to take in everything that just happened. And then my sister brought dinner over when she brought Eva home and mm. Eva got to meet her sister. And it was just, it was just the sweetest thing. It was, so magical. And it was so incredible to me. I was like, man, I'm at home. I'm in my own bed. I um, just have all of these women around me that are supporting me and loving me. I just, um, I could not imagine giving birth anywhere else at this point. Mm. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. Wow. It certainly is. Wow. Oh, and so are you thinking? I mean, I know no pressure. I just know it's natural to are you thinking of more and more home births because you kind of opened the door there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I would love to have I would love to have more kids. It just hasn't happened yet. But we would love to have more kids. And I want Cheryl there. So yes, (laughs) definitely Cheryl. Oh, wow. Bridget, you're amazing. Uh, You gave us so much in this conversation from how you moved through some of your your fears and questions and and doubts, and you had to deal with some curveballs thrown your way, and uh, just how you did that, and then also your amazing story on top of it. I just... There's, there's so much in this that I know mamas will get something from. So I just want to thank you for being a part of this community, being a part of the space and now, you know, uh, providing what you have today in your story and um, who you are as a mama. It's just really beautiful. No, thanks. And thanks for listening. I, I love birth and I think it's 
so important, not just the act of giving birth, but how that imprints on both mama and baby for the rest of their life. And I, I love encouraging other women through pregnancy and postpartum. It's such a, um, short and intense period. And so I'm glad to, um, share my story and, and hope that that encourages other people wherever they're at in their journey. Quick note about the Doing It at Home podcast. Matthew and I are not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing we say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. If you have medical or health-related questions, please take them to a trained professional. We're here simply to entertain you with stories and conversations about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved? Datages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgle. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Datages. That's D A D A G E S, wherever you listen to your podcasts. <laughs>